the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. This afternoon we are continuing our short series entitled Go, exploring what the Bible has to say about mission. Last Sunday in her introduction to this series, Gemma reminded us that the idea of mission is a thematic thread that runs through the entirety of Scripture. So whilst the words of the Great Commission that we find towards the close of Matthew's Gospel are Jesus' commands to his followers both then and now to go and make disciples of all nations, that command isn't a new one. It's merely the restatement of something that's always been central to God's plan. Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission of God's People, which I would wholeheartedly recommend to you, writes this. I want people to see not just that the Bible contains a number of texts which happen to provide a rationale for missionary endeavour, but that the whole Bible is itself a missional phenomenon. And it's that appreciation of the bigger picture and of our part within it that forms the focus of our exploration over these four weeks. As Gemma reminded us, the rationale for this series is included on the teaching programme card for this term. There we read this. In this four-part series entitled Go, we'll be looking at how the early church responded to God's call to go global, as well as exploring what mission might mean for us, both individually and corporately, beyond the confines of our own front line. So, with that in mind, let's turn to our passage, shall we, for this afternoon from Acts chapter 1. If you'd like a Bible, there are several in the red box behind you. Alternatively, you can follow the reading on your phone or by any other means available to you. In addition, the words are going to be up on the screen. But to establish some context for the verses that we're going to consider in detail this afternoon, the verses from verse 6 to verse 11 of chapter 1, let's commence reading from the beginning of the chapter. So here we are. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read from verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he said, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I wonder if you can recall a time when you were required to act as a, a witness. Just for a moment, perhaps, just think about that. Think about that experience. 
Within the art of journalism, there is an established formula for questioning someone in order to establish his or her veracity as a witness. It's called the, the five W's and H formula, a formula that has been around for a very long time. In its earliest form, it was attributed to Thomas Wilson, who was an English diplomat and judge who served as a privy councillor and secretary of state to Queen Elizabeth I. In his pamphlet, The Art of Rhetoric, which is dated 1560, Wilson says this, Who, what and where, by what help and by whose, why, how and when, do many things disclose? And today's rendering of Wilson's words, the five W's and H formula, expands to when, who, how, what, where and why. And I think we can see all of these questions both raised and answered within the few verses that we have in front of us for this afternoon. But rather than think of them along the lens of that formula, we're instead going to use six P's, which I hope will just dovetail with it and help us to see where this passage is going. So we're going to think about perspective, about people, about power, plan, place and promise. So let's start by looking at perspective. So the first thing that a witness needs to establish is when something occurred. So look again at verses 6 and 7. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And the disciples' question in the second half of verse 6 reveals their attention. It's primarily focused on the future. Yet Jesus' reply, which characteristically doesn't come in the form of an answer, seeks to, to shift the disciples' attention away from the future and back towards the present. And given what the disciples had heard and seen over the three years that they had lived in such close proximity to Jesus, the question they pose is not unexpected, and in all probability, it's one they'd asked several times. Jesus often talked about the coming of the kingdom. Matthew, in his gospel record, records these words of Jesus in chapter 19. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In reality, their question reveals a strong faith in Jesus as the sovereign Lord, the one who would one day rule and reign as the king over God's kingdom. It also reveals their eagerness to see God's power fully displayed. And so it is that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their question. He, he simply redirects their attention towards the matter that's in hand. And as Gemma pointed out last Sunday, the opening verse of Acts chapter 1 tells us that in a very real sense the work of Jesus remains unfinished since the baton has been passed on to individual Christians and to the collective work of the church to continue the race. So our part in God's mission isn't focused on what's happening next, it's focused on what's happening now. Secondly then, that's the first is about perspective, the second is about people. In order to make clear to the disciples that they have a role to play in the mission of God, Jesus turns their attention away from God's work towards their work. So in the first part of verse 8, we find Jesus revealing who he is going to use to accomplish the work of the kingdom. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The word but denotes a change of direction. 
The disciples wanted to talk about prophecy, but Jesus wants them to focus on proclamation. And the word you reveals that this is a very personal command. It's worth noting that verse 8 contains the final recorded words of Jesus to his disciples. And surely, maybe we should spend some time thinking about his final words. Because Jesus has chosen to continue his work through you and I. His command should be our concern. At the church meeting on Wednesday evening, I mentioned again the statement that we've returned to several times, which seeks to describe our intention as missional people. The final sentence of that statement says, whether together or apart, scattered or gathered, we have a desire to be a kingdom builders on whatever front line God places us. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, the American pastor and writer, puts it very simply. The church is not a building to see or a place to sit. The church is a movement to join. Just over a month ago, Brother Andrew, the founder of Open Doors and the author of several books, including the international bestseller God's Smuggler, went to be with the saviour he loved and served. For over 70 years, Andrew Vanderbilt faithfully followed God's call upon his life to support Christians around the world facing oppression and persecution. Brother Andrew's commitment to mission started by saying yes. He wrote, I said to God, Whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go. I'll begin this very minute. God may ask you, he says, to become part of the answer to your prayers. If that happens, rejoice, for then you'll be participating in the greatest adventure imaginable. So that's something about perspective, that's something about people. Thirdly, I want you to notice Jesus talks about power. Jesus continues in verse 8 to not only tell his disciples that they are the people he wants to use, but he also informs them that he is going to resource them for the continuation of God's mission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the word power is used ten times in the book of Acts. And it's the Greek word dunamis from which we get our English words dynamic and dynamo and dynamite. Now we're going to be thinking more about the indwelling of the spirit when we get to the final part of our series so I'm not going to spend any more time on it today but it's worth noting in passing that it's not if the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's when. And the phrase has come is in the aorist tense which indicates that the spirit's coming will be a definite historic event, something we'll learn more about when we start to look at Acts chapter 2, the final part of our series with Clive. So, fourthly then, not only is there power, but there's also a plan. And it's here in the second part of verse 8 that we get to discover exactly what Jesus has in mind for his followers to do. At least, that's how we understand the phrase, and you will be my witnesses. But if we take a closer look, it's important to notice that it's more a matter of being and actually less about doing. Jesus doesn't say, you shall do. Instead, he says, you shall be. We aren't merely called to bear witness, but most importantly, we are called to be witnesses. And the word witness is a word that appears many times in the book of Acts. Almost 30 times we get to read that word. And the task of a witness is to report what has been experienced and known to be true. If you stand up in a court of law, 
you can't testify on hearsay or conjecture. And in a similar way, we'll only be good witnesses for Christ if we have a dynamic relationship with him. Since the when, who, how, what, where and why relate to our individual experience as a disciple, not on the experiences of others. So that's part of the plan. Let's also look at, fifthly, let's look at place. In the remainder of the verse, we get to learn where Jesus is calling his disciples to be witnesses. We know from the earlier part of the chapter, the disciples were instructed to wait in Jerusalem. But as verse 8 reveals, Jesus doesn't intend for the good news message of the gospel to remain within the confines of the city. At the close of Luke's gospel, in a parallel passage to the start of Acts, we read Jesus saying this to his disciples. This is Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 46 to 49. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And now if we were to turn over a few pages in the book of Acts, we would discover that the disciples made a huge impact on the city following Pentecost. Acts chapter 5 verses 27-28 says this. The apostles were made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And the high priest says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Notice how verse 8 expands to include everyone, rather like the ripples in a pond that circle out when a pebble is dropped. So it is that the good news of the gospel travels and spreads. Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as the story of Acts reveals, that's exactly what happens. The first seven chapters of the book focus on Jerusalem. The next three chapters tell of the gospel spread into Judea and Samaria. And in the remainder of the book, the message resonates all the way to Rome, which I'm sure to these first century disciples must have seemed like the ends of the earth. But it's worth noting that the story of the spread of the gospel didn't happen without hardship. In fact, it took oppression and persecution to shake the believers in Jerusalem loose from their comfortable surroundings. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says that following the murder of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And as Gemma reminded us last Sunday, God's mission has always been for the news of his purposes and his glory to go global. Whilst God's people in the Old Testament didn't always live up to the plans God had set out for them, the mission was known. The psalmist, David, knew the scope of God's plan. He wrote about it in Psalm 65. Listen to what he has to say. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourselves with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the tumult of their nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. And even though we are geographically, of course, far removed from many of the places that are mentioned in verse 8, I think we can see a direct correlation for our context. 
Jerusalem certainly equates to our city here in Exeter. Judea, our county, since by and large the region of Judea was familiar territory for those living in the capital. Samaria, our country, since its complex history and cosmopolitan population felt often quite foreign to those living in Jerusalem. And then finally, the ends of the earth. That reminds us, doesn't it, to consider the rest of the world. Which brings us to my last point for this afternoon, promise. In these three verses from this section of Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells us why we are to be his witnesses, and it's simply this. Because one day Jesus will return. He will return to take those who have placed their lives under his lordship to be with him. In the meantime, we have this one instruction to be witnesses, to continue the vital mission of revealing the good news of Jesus through our words and our actions, recognising that people face an eternity of separation from God without Christ and that our love for others ought to mirror the love that Christ has shown to us. And the reason why God doesn't take us to be with Christ the moment we place our faith and trust in him is because his plan to reach the world can only be achieved through his witnesses, you and I. We make a big and a wrong assumption, I think, if we think our salvation is simply for ourselves. Instead, we, we need to understand that we have been rescued for a reason. And that reason is to carry on the mission of God. That reason is to reach out to others with the saving power of the good news of Christ. Tico Rice, in his book Honest Evangelism, makes this observation about Jesus' interaction with people throughout the Gospel narratives. According to one count, he says, the Gospels record 132 contacts Jesus had with people. Six of these happened in the temple, four took place in the synagogues, and 122 happened with people in the mainstream of life. Brother Andrew's response to God's call to go comprised of one word, yes. I wonder where God wants us to go as individuals or as a church. I'm going to leave the final word to Brother Andrew. This is what he says. Persecution is an enemy the church has met and mastered many times. Indifference could prove to be a far more dangerous foe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to read it and share from it. And as we consider to uh, think about what it is that we are being called to do, uh, would you help us to be willing to have our lives shaped by your power, by your spirit. Help us, we pray, uh, to take hold of the Great Commission and to see it in our own context, in our own lives, in our own family, in our own workplace, amongst our friends, but also to recognise that it goes way and far beyond all of that as we consider what it might mean for us and for this church to have a heart for those across the world who have yet not heard the good news of the gospel. Heavenly Father, help us, we pray, in all of these things we ask. Amen.